Podcast with your hosts, Gene Steinberg and David Bietti. I'm really excited this week to have as our guest David Sunshine, who is very knowledgeable about a topic that's very near and dear to my heart, the incredible story of Arigo and Spiritism. David, how did you first come to find out about Arigo and what, co- what was going on down in Brazil? Well, I was living in Brazil uh, since 1985, uh, married to a Brazilian and making films down there, and was approached by an American producer who had read a book about Arigo to, to do a film about him. And it had been an area of my interest for many, many years as well. Uh, I have a, a background in uh, neurobiology and, and my father's a retired medical doctor. And so all of that had kind of brought me into an, an interest in things that also bridged into the paranormal where Brazil is very ripe with that. So when I was approached by this, this producer here, I had the opportunity to actually meet Arago's family. And that's really where the project began to flourish. I take so, it that book is the infamous Arigo Surgeon of the Rusty Knife by John G. Fuller? That's right, yes. Yeah. And so at the beginning of the project, that book was, was not a part of the film that I was working on. It had been optioned by a third person. And so I began working on developing the story outside of really what was written in that book which is pretty much public domain stuff. There's not much in there that you couldn't find from public sources. The writer, John Fuller, had never met Arago himself. He wrote the story after he passed away. So my work became much more intimate, involving the, the people who had worked with him, his family members, the people who had been treated by him. And so it was really about firsthand or secondhand knowledge, at, at least, and several decades after it had happened, but it was still quite intimate. Being there, I stayed with his family many, many times over a several year period, and uh, the other collaborators as well who worked with him. So that's how I became involved in it. Let's give people some background on this, David, because I know that there's been a lot of research done into spiritual surgery, and a lot of it's been debunked. Uh, there has been a lot of this, in I know, in um, Korea and in Asia, where very obviously you had charlatans engaging in this stuff. But Arigo was what seems to be, and I, and I, I do believe, in, in fact, that it was a real case based on the documentation I've reviewed and based on my own experiences and my father's. We'll talk about those a little later in the show, but can we talk a little bit about how how this man came to have these abilities? What's the background of this, specifically talking about spiritism and Alan Kardec? Sure. It's a very interesting history and how Argo actually is is very unique in this history, and, and I'll get to that in a minute. In the 1850s, Alan Kardec, a Frenchman who was a very educated man, a doctor, and very, very well well-established in in many fields in France, wanted to study the area of spiritism because he'd heard about people sitting around a table in a seance and getting information from this. And and at that point, he was extremely skeptical. Uh, But he had went through such direct experiences that it intrigued him enough to actually begin studying it on a very scientific level. And he created several books uh, which consist of thousands of interviewed questions of people who were channeling 
or mediums who were receiving the spirit of someone or something that is other than their normal personalities. And through this years of study, he created these volumes of books, uh, the Book of Spirits, the Book of Mediums, and several others. And these have become, in the 1850s, they became the basis of a combination of a religion and philosophy and science of spiritism. In France, these were kind of uh, taken on by the the higher classes of royalty. They kind of enjoyed that. And interestingly enough, it was brought over to Brazil very soon after that by the upper classes. And this was a way for the people in Brazil, in the upper classes, to embrace something that has been, since the founding of Brazil, very, very strong, which is the presence of spiritism and uh, in their practice, but the practice previously had been with the lower class people, the African slaves and the indigenous people. So the bringing over of the cardicism or spiritism allowed the upper class people to embrace it as a study. And so Brazil became the focus of this cardicism, much more so than France. So that's the, the history of where that started and it has now evolved to several other levels. What happened in the 1940s and 50s was a startling incident of an individual named Zé Arigo began practicing something that looked like spiritism in that he was channeling a German doctor from World War I who had died in World War I and began treating people while he was in trance. This seemed to fit into the spiritist doctrine for many people, but it also was something very, very different because he was actually operating on people with knives and opening their bodies and doing surgeries. And this is extremely well documented, both in films with medical doctors and all. This act of treating people with a knife and going into their bodies was absolutely contrary to the spiritist doctrine which says that you can heal people without intervening in their physical body by treating what they would call their astral body or energy body and no physical intervention. So in fact, Arigo had some of the qualities of the spiritist doctrine but others definitely outside. So he, in a way, is very unique, much more of a, a lone wolf, as it were, and not fitting into any one paradigm. So that's bringing up a bit of the, the historical background on this. We have William Burns, the publisher of UFO Magazine, on the line. William, can you give us an offer for our readers about getting the magazine? Yes, I sure can. Here's an offer for your listeners. We have a special five-issue introductory offer for first-time subscribers, 1995 for your first five issues. Not available anywhere else, but on the Paracast. So, Bill, how do they place the order? People can place orders by going to www.ufomag.com. 
They can also place orders over the phone at 1-888-UFO-MAGA, or they can write to us at Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Bill, give us that contact information again. It is UFO Magazine, Post Office Box 11013, Marina Del Rey, California, 90295. Or they can go directly to www.ufomag.com. And they can also call 1-888-UFO-MAGA, and they can subscribe right over the phone with a credit card. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking to David Sunshine, and he is an investigator and a filmmaker. And we're talking about, I would call it, the strange case of Arigo. David B., you had a question. Strange case indeed. David, the very first time that this happened to Arigo, and I think we need to set up for people who this person Arigo was, he's, I think, not the person that a lot of people have come to believe he was in, in a lot of um, research done after the fact, after Arigo passed away, there were a lot of claims about him seeking to be well-known and him seeking personal gain through this. And um, as we talk through this episode, we're going to touch upon a number of details. But it's my understanding in reading the uh, Fuller book that this was not something that Arigo came to do on purpose. It's not something he wanted to have this ability. This actually sort of chose him in a way. Could you could you tell us a little bit about how Arigo discovered his abilities? Yes, he was extremely unwilling. Uh, this was not something that um, he would have wished upon anybody, uh, certainly. And the beginning of his life with this uh, phenomenon was very tortured. Uh, as a very young person, he uh, would have visions that he would describe as being lights or images of people uh, and often be very frightened by these things. And certainly people would, uh, if they heard anything about that, would ostracize him. So he, it was something that, that just was not comfortable for him. But from the point of view of the spirit, it was preparation preparation for his uh, lifelong mission to be in a partnership with the spirit world. He certainly uh, had some advantages with this when he was younger, the, some of the stories, at least the, the myths that, that uh, even were told by, by his uh, children to us, that he was able to, uh, for example, find uh, lost sheep because he could hear the voices of the spirits talking to him and telling him where to go. Hmm. So there were a couple advantages, but for the most part, it was something that he just basically would uh, avoid talking about and otherwise just get in a lot of trouble. So 
as he was growing up, though, there became more and more opportunities for him to follow what this voice would say in terms of helping other people. And uh, he would get uh, information, for example, uh, that would be like a, a voice in his ears telling him what kind of medications somebody would need to take. Uh, and he would just kind of blurt it out and say, what, what are you talking about, you know? And, and these, these were kind of strange things, but it seemed to help people. Uh, on the opposite side, though, he had a real hard time holding jobs, and he had fainting spells and, and it, you know, what might have looked like epileptic seizures or something like that, and, and it was just very, very difficult for him to, to maintain uh, a regular life. Along with this, he was also developing his n normal um, family life, uh, getting married and having children and all that. And so there were a tremendous amount of stresses just for anybody who's you know, trying to take care of a family. He was also very involved in uh, his mining union. He was a, a miner, a coal miner, and he would be very, very strong in the union organization. And this led him to uh, supporting a senator for who was a workers' party uh, supporter. And this uh, incident where there was a political campaign going on and he was staying in a hotel with the senator, one night he walked into the senator's room and um, apparently in trance, operating on the senator who had, little beknownst to anybody, uh, some lung cancer. And after this operation, which was done by a, um, like a razor blade, Argo did not remember a thing about it. The senator claimed that he was healed. He went to see the doctors afterwards. The cancer was gone. And it was spread all across the newspapers that Argo had healed the senator. Well, that was a real big turning point in, in Argo's career, as it were, as a healer. And being public like that, he then began receiving first dozens and then hundreds and then thousands of people coming to his small home in this little town called Congonhas in Brazil. Now, in reading the episode about Bittencourt and how he operated on him, um, he had no memory of this. And um, also, from what I had read, Bittencourt had, knew he had cancer. Uh, I guess a lot of people didn't know, but he knew. Yeah. And when he, um, I read that when he went back to his doctor after this thing with Arigo, and he confronted Arigo the next morning and said, what's going on here? I remember you being in my room. Arigo had no memory of this, as the Fuller book tells it. And then when this doctor went to, when this uh, senator went to his doctor, the doctor thought he had been cured by some miraculous treatment in, in the United States. And, uh, yeah. right, that's, that's sort of what happened. Yeah, in fact, there, there was some uh, minor scarring in, in the incision um, so that, that it, it was visible that there had been some kind of operation. Right. Uh, apparently, and so uh, the senator's doctor could only figure if the cancer was gone and he had no idea how to do this kind of thing, that it must have been some advanced kind of surgery in some other place. Yeah. And in fact, Argo did not uh, maintain consciousness, particularly in the earlier years. It was a radical shift of consciousness to go into trance and receive 
the spirit of Dr. Fritz. He would not remember anything. Before we continue with the story, David, I, I think it would be good for our listeners to understand the dynamic between this thing called Spiritism and Catholicism. Now, Ari Go, as, as, we, uh, as we know, was a fairly religious man. He was involved with the local church. How did um, the church see this? How does the church view Spiritism in general? At that time, the church was very opposed to this. Over the last few decades, it's certainly changed um, considerably, but at that time, they saw it as, as being against God. It was a very demonic kind of thing, and in fact, uh, there was a whole um, antagonism with the local priests and uh, attempts to exorcise the demon and, and all sorts of much worse. That was at least where they were trying to help Arago to come mm -hmm. back into the fold. He was certainly devoutly Catholic and his wife still is devoutly Catholic and, and all the sons are, are baptized. It's 99% of the people in, in Brazil are Catholic. They may be something else as well, but they're pretty much all Catholic. Uh, and so the church is, is a very, very predominant part of the culture and the society. So it, was, it became an extraordinarily painful situation for Argo to be ostracized by the church, which he actually loved very much. How about the dynamics with his family? What did his um, children and his wife think of this? I know that, as you said, you, you ended up spending time with them, and you got to know them fairly well. What was yeah. their take on all of this? Well, it changed over the years, certainly uh, at the beginning. Um, his wife, Arletch, was very shocked by his behavior and, and never faltered once in her love for him, but was very concerned about just taking care of the family. And, and when these first incidents happened, you know, with his fainting and losing jobs, that was, that was very difficult for all of them. And she ended up supporting the family a lot with her own work that she could do while he was looking for jobs. Once it got into gear, though, and all these people were lining up to get healed in their home, she actually was uh, quite supportive uh, in a rather neutral way because she wouldn't um, interfere with anything that was happening. She would, you know, clean up the place and all that. Um, but she was very much uh, allowing it to happen because it, it felt like it was the right thing to do and that it was his mission. Uh, well, as the story goes, when he tried not to do this, from my readings, he would actually get ill if he tried that, to yeah. resist this, right? It, it was a very tortuous thing because of that, too. He couldn't just simply walk away. It was something that, that would create um, horrible headaches and, uh, again, fainting spells if he didn't work with it. And you mean he was, like, compelled? Yeah it was, it was, yeah, it was more than being compelled. It was like having a, a relationship with someone who's not going to let you get away with anything unless you do the right thing. Well, it sounds like my wife. Yeah, it had a, it was a very competing kind of situation. If you can imagine, like, you know, two wives, as it were, you know, two partnerships. And one was on the material family, you know, monetary, physical thing. And the other was totally on the spiritual, the healing thing. And there was a lot of competition for him, and he suffered for that. That was a big part of his. 
Ooh, let me want to go into this in a few minutes. If you're looking for a better way to present or collaborate during your conference calls, your solution is simple. Web conferencing with GoToMeeting. During your call, everyone logs on to GoToMeeting.com, and your computer screen shows up on their computer screens. It's like you're all in the same room. GoToMeeting is perfect for sales or product demos, training, or real-time collaboration. Plus, you're not charged per minute like other providers. You can meet as often as you want for as long as you need. With GoToMeeting, you can meet with anyone, anywhere, without leaving your office. You'll not only save time, but money, too. See for yourself. Try GoToMeeting free for 45 days. Just visit GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. That's GoToMeeting.com forward slash podcast. Try GoToMeeting today. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietney. We're talking to another David, David Sunshine. He's a researcher and a filmmaker, and we're talking about the very, very unusual, compelling case of Arigo. Now, as you say, he would suffer these headaches and other symptoms if he tried to withstand the compulsion to do these sort of things. Yeah, if he simply walked away, he didn't have an easy time doing that. The withstanding, it was just, it's kind of like he had to just surrender, basically. It's like surrendering to the will of God. In this case, the will of the Spirit, who who knows, is doing the work of God by the healing miracles. In any case, that was the... um, that was the way that Arago finally could justify it, is that he actually, when he'd wake up from the trance, to see that all these people were healed and so grateful. He did, at one point, get offered money for these healings, but the Dr. Fritz uh, would not let him do that. That was, again, just not allowed, partly because of the, the spiritist kind of doctrine would say that, but also simply the Dr. Fritz entity would not allow him to take advantage on the material plane of that. So ultimately he did get a, a modest a job as a, a like a social security worker in town. So he would work maybe half the day, five days a week, and the other half the days he'd be treating patients. So he was able to reconcile ultimately that uh, work versus spiritual mission in his life. I think that whole point, David, about the compensation issue with Arigo is really critical. And I think this really solidifies, in my eyes, his credibility in that not only did not he not solicit money, 
but basically he wouldn't even accept it. Now, I know that there have been some concerns on the part of researchers that he had a family member who had, I guess, the main pharmacy in town. And we haven't really talked about this yet, and maybe now would be a good time to do it. But he would write out these really bizarre prescriptions for things, and then people would take it to the pharmacy that, again, I, I, I understand belonged to one of his family members, and they would fulfill these these prescriptions. Let's talk a little bit about what these prescriptions were, because they were really odd, weren't they? Yeah. There was a, a, a large range of strange prescriptions, certain categories. He would prescribe medication sometimes that might have been um, a common uh, prescription for a certain ailment, but he might prescribe it in 10 times the dosage, and it would work for him, but not for other people. Uh, he might prescribe things that were much more like, well, maybe homeopathics that might or might not work for other people, but it would work in his cases. He would also prescribe things that were not known to be of specific cures for certain ailments, but it would turn out that some laboratory in Europe uh, was doing some experimental research and finding out that indeed these were um, medications that could work uh, effectively. And on the contrary, he would prescribe things that may have not been used for decades uh, and nobody even remembered that they existed. So there were a variety of kinds of prescriptions that, that um, were in general very effective. The fact that it was his brother's pharmacy, certainly the family was taking advantage of the fact that there was, there was a way to make more money. And it wasn't just with a pharmacy, they had a hotel as well. So the family definitely uh, was benefiting uh, from this, as were most of the people in the town. It became a, a huge uh, attraction that allowed a lot of people to survive uh, with the commerce of, of having hundreds, if not thousands, of people coming in a day to this town. Now, why do you think, I mean, in looking at contemporary research about the Arigo case, there's a lot of emphasis paid to this. And I find that odd, and I find it odd because if one looks at the Arigo case, and, and we have so much more to talk about in the show, but it becomes very clear that, at least to me it is, and I, and I think it's important for our listeners to understand that there was a good amount of physical evidence regarding this case. This is not anecdotal stuff. There were there was a good amount of footage shot of Arigo doing operations. There was a tremendous uh, amount of still photo photography deployed. I have to, to tell you guys that my interest in this case stems from my living in Venezuela in the 70s. When we first moved to Caracas, my father had a job as the director of newsreels for a big um, film production company in Caracas, Venezuela that a friend of his actually owned. And he would do these newsreels that played before movies. And this was how people would get a lot of their news then. They, you know, And this is something that existed in the United States many years ago as well. But at one point, um, my father did this newsreel piece on psychic surgeons who were charlatans. Uh, because what happened after, uh, I guess, the Arigo era, uh, there sprung up a whole cottage industry of people who were sort of capitalizing on the interest in this, but who clearly did not have Arigo's powers. And this was endemic in parts of South America. So my father did a newsreel piece on this, and in his interviews, as in order to pre present a counterpoint to the fake stuff, 
he tracked down a number of people who had been operated on successfully by Arigo and interviewed them as well. And that's where I first found out about the Arigo case. I went out with my father to do some of these interviews and to listen to what these people were saying and what they were describing. Something you know, sort of clicked in my head. I thought, my God, this guy was really the, the genuine article. David, how long did Arigo practice this ability? And to our knowledge, how many people did he actually cure? His major work was done between 1948 and 1971 when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's estimated that he treated around 2 million people during oh. that period. Whoa. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www dot f-a-t-e-m-a-g dot com what are you waiting for your fate awaits gene and i love to hear from our listeners if you'd like to share your thoughts with us send your messages to news at the com. that's news at the com. and don't forget to check out our website at the com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you've heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're talking to filmmaker and researcher David Shannonshine, and we're talking about the strange case of Ari Go, and we're talking now, and you said it, so I'm going to ask you to expand on it. Yes. Well, you can do the math. It it means that he was working, you know, on the average of of five days a week with, you know, between 500 to 1,000 people a day, you know, for, for two decades, something like that. And the way that he was able to treat that many people was uh, that he didn't do surgery on all of them. He would do maybe only 50 to 100 surgeries a day. Only? Only, <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and occasionally might have one that might last for, like, you know, maybe 15 or 30 minutes, which would be a very, very long surgery. Uh, many of the surgeries were done literally a flick of the wrist you know he would he would have people lined up for example for eye operations and they would just be you know a couple dozen of them lining up on the wall and he just go from one to the other with a knife and uh just stick the knife in the eyes and do it in a few seconds and then you just walk to the next person no sterilization uh no uh anesthesia the preparation for it was usually done in more the form of prayer and the uh, the aftermath of it was done usually, again, uh, they put a bandage. He'd have helpers that would put bandages, for example, on the eyes. Uh, and then they would be requested to either take some medications or, or do something afterwards. And from a spiritist point of view, uh, what was happening was that 
Arago was channeling one entity that would speak, namely Dr. Fritz, but in fact they would be surrounded by up to thousands of other entities that would be doctors and nurses on the spiritual plane. And each one of the patients would have been prepared by these nurses and doctors before the surgery and then accompanied afterwards as well. So in fact, it was a huge hospital that was really taking care of all these uh, patients from a, a spiritist point of view. David, there's um, a case in particular right after the Bittencourt episode. You know, and this, this gained him a, a good amount of notoriety, but in the Fuller book, there's a description of another episode that I think came right after Bittencourt, which is it's pretty extreme and indicative, I think, of just how unique the Arigo case was. And, and, and I wonder if you know about this story, the woman who had some sort of uterine cancer. Do you know about, do you, yeah. do you know the story? Yeah, could I you tell do. the story to our listeners? Well, this story uh, was about a, an older woman who was on her deathbed. She had really, you know, the priest there saying the last rites and all, and Arigo went to visit her along with the other family members in the room and all who were present to this. And in the middle of all of this, with a medical doctor present in the, and all too, um, he ran into the kitchen, grabbed a knife, a big kitchen knife, and this was not Arigo as we know, the good old Arigo. This was Arigo who had fallen into a trance right. with Dr. Fritz and came back in wielding this large knife and told everyone to step aside. And he did a surgery on this woman and pulled out a grapefruit-sized tumor, yeah. uterine tumor, from her. And everybody was there present to see this, and except for him. Bargo didn't know what had happened at all. <laughs> God. Uh, but there were witnesses to this surgery, and this was one of the, uh, the turning points as well, uh, along with yeah. Bittencourt. Uh, case that made it very clear to people this is the real thing. So he pulled this out of her, and she she survived, right? She survived, yes. Yeah. She continued to live, and, and yes, so that was a remarkable thing. It wasn't just a, a gesture. It was actually effective. Yeah. Pretty extreme stuff, and, and to me, this makes among many other aspects of the Arigo case, this really holds it in extreme contrast to the you know the bogus psychic surgeries where we see things like palmed animal livers and you know sort of this uh, idea that people are manipulating flesh, but indeed all they're doing is applying some some fake blood and uh, palming like a, a chicken liver or something and pulling it out mm -hmm. and saying, look, here's a tumor. It, it's pretty clear, I think, by all of the photographic evidence that exists and the research that had been done, that this is exactly what Arigo was not doing, that Arigo was indeed uh, cutting into people. And, and David, he was doing this without applying any form of anesthesia, right? That's uh, the other very unusual thing, and, and medical doctors have, have been present to this. And, and they have also noted that there was no form of hypnosis. This wasn't, uh, there was no kind of induction that we may see nowadays in the dentist's office or whatever to reduce pain through hypnosis or induction, and he, he didn't need that. The, the explanations were varied on that, too. Depending if you would like the spiritist point of view, he would be using uh, what he called a green light that certain psychics would actually be able to see visually, but it's not normal to normal people. We wouldn't be able to see this. But they would say the green light 
is coming down like in a beam and affecting the area to um, create an anesthetic and antiseptics uh, as well. So this, this is kind of the astral healing energy, as it were, that would allow these kinds of surgeries to happen. I can also add that, that in my research, I did uh, spend quite a bit of time with other psychic surgeons, as they're called, sometimes trans surgeons is another name that has been more used, and I've seen with my own eyes um, surgeries the, with, under the same conditions, and just speaking to the patients while, they're ha while it's going on, and they feel maybe the pressure, you know, there, there's something going on there, but there's no pain, and they've been, the ones I've seen have been extremely radical things, and, you know, including brain surgery and, and uh, you know, abdominal surgery, uh, eye surgeries, all over the body, you know, and just watching the body being sliced open with an knife or scalpel. And uh, it's, there's no doubt uh, that, that uh, it's no sleight of hand possible because we're just watching it and it's being filmed in, in very clear, bright light. Uh, there's no sleight of hand because it's not about the hands. It's the mm -hmm. knife against the skin and then, and you just watch and it opens up. You know, I was going to say one, one case with the brain surgery, he used an electric drill to get through the cranium. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and then, uh, and so, you know, that was, that was pretty dramatic. I've seen images of other people. Uh, I didn't, unfortunately, save myself from this one. Someone was using a radial saw to open somebody's body up. Oh, Boy, splatter yeah. all over. If you, you want know, to see blood and gore, you just watch any CSI program. They have three a week. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, could say, oh, yeah, this was manipulated. I mean, that's the problem with, with today's technologies, you know. We could say, oh, we could take this and do that, and, you know. But I can say that for myself, I, I was there physically present and, and sometimes put the camera in front of my face to record it, and that's what I've got, uh, and I... I know that startled people back then, and it still startles people, you know? We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We're talking about healing, maybe I guess we'll call it psychic healing, with filmmaker and investigator David Shannonshine. And I wanted to ask one question, it might be a little of a left field question here, but when you talk about Arigo, I didn't read the John Fuller book, and that is, I think, of Edgar Casey the so-called psychic doctor in America, in Virginia. Now, have you ever tried to compare the two cases? I think that the impact that the two men had on their cultures is is extraordinary. They're very different personalities. Edgar Casey um, did a lot of writing that was extraordinary, and his healing work, as far as I know, never involved surgeries. And I don't know really the, the um, statistics or how, how well his patients came out. I think that they're, they both are in the same realm of like hard to explain phenomenon, but it's really happening and there's no doubt about it and it's extremely well documented. I don't think they knew each other at all, but they certainly hold the torch, uh, you know, for this 
the belief in the non-material world beyond our bodies. David, did anybody try to do any research to find out more about Dr. Fritz? Was he a real person? Did he really live? There are people who have written books about him and have gone to Germany to investigate this reality. And I, uh, I take it with a grain of salt. I think that it's, it's possible, but I, ha I don't feel the proof of it. Um, there are many indications of it. Certainly, you know, tombstones, medical records, or, or army records. But to say that, that it's exactly the same phenomenon, mm -hmm. I personally have a have a mindset about spiritism that you know it's possible, but there's other explanations too. You know, it's possible that that we could have knowledge of things beyond our physical world, uh, let's say through ESP, for example, without needing to have the explanation that a spirit who was living in decades ago has returned to, in, to a body. There are lots of possibilities, and I'm open to them, but I, I haven't seen proof of one or the other. But uh, it's certainly a phenomenon worth investigating. Now, as far as Ari Go goes, when he would be in a trance, David, his mannerisms would change physically, wouldn't they? Totally. Arigo was a basically a, a farm boy. He, he had a first grade education. His skills were in the area of, of mining and farming, and and also social skills. He was very good at uh, people. And that's why he was one of the minor union leaders. But as far as anything intellectual, uh, he'd like to read comic books. That was where he was at. <laughs> Literally. Seems almost you know? odd, right? That's that's weird. Yeah, and so when he would go into trance, his demeanor would change so dramatically. His body would get stiff, his facial features would get hard. His voice, at first he couldn't speak in Portuguese. He would only speak in German. Really? Only no, in German? He had no knowledge of the German language. Dr. <laughs> Fritz was, spoke fluent German with no accent. This isn't the only case in the world where somebody speaks in tongues or, you know, can do this. What makes him so unusual is that there's a whole story behind it as well. So it took him a while to be able to actually begin to speak Portuguese again that was understandable because it was such a heavy German accent. Okay, so he becomes a German in this particular state that he speaks German? He becomes Dr. Fritz. Right, so he becomes doctor. Dr. Fritz. And right. that's another question, too. Is there anything in his history that shows he might have known German? Whether, as you say, he's a farmer, so maybe he didn't learn in school, but maybe he had a relative or a friend who spoke none, German? None hmm. whatsoever. Sure. There was no, people didn't even know what he, what he was talking They didn't even know it was German he was talking at first. It was just so otherworldly, the whole experience. Not only speaking German, but speaking to medical doctors in very high-level scientific anatomical terms. That He had no exposure to any of this. Where did he get this from? Spiritism says that he was channeling an entity that knew all this and that he was out of the way. You know, that's, that's a good explanation for that. There are other possibilities, but they're equally fantastic. If we're talking about, you know, you know brick and mortar and concrete stuff in the world, uh, there's really no easy explanation for this phenomenon. Well, David, you mentioned that other medical doctors witnessed him 
performing these surgeries, what was their feedback? What did they think about what they were seeing? Well, uh, some of them would, would see it and not believe it, and they just they could they couldn't accept it. Others were extremely intrigued and even uh, would donate surgical tools to support him in that. And then there were scientists, American scientists, uh, that would go down and really try to to nail this thing down, like from a scientific perspective. And they found that scientifically his diagnoses were extraordinarily accurate, uh, like 95% accurate. And um, even when the patient would come in with an initial diagnosis, he would correct it, and his correction would be accurate. Unfortunately, that scientific team wasn't able to pursue it to as great a degree, you know, discovering what more of the principles were because it, it got leaked to the press and the press came in and kind of made a big, a big scene which made all the patients flee because it was really not something that the patients would have wanted to be involved with. So we don't have as much scientific data now as we, we would like to have had. Uh, but it certainly had uh, just so much, so many uh, anecdotes and medical reports that it, it's undeniable. This is Tim Beckley, Mr. UFO, reporting for ConspiracyJournal.com. Fascinated by the strange and unknown, things that go bump in the night, UFOs, time travel, Area 51, the Philadelphia Experiment, shady government cover-ups? Don't be left out in the lunar cold. Sign up now for our weekly online newsletter and receive our snail mail catalogs. Go to ConspiracyJournal.com or email Tim Beckley at MrUFO at WebTV.net. It's all out of this world. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. She came to Earth to conquer our planet. He traveled to the future to conquer her heart. Experience the adventure of a lifetime. Attack Attack of the the Rockoids. The critics are raving about Attack of the Rockoids. One reviewer writes, The father and son writing team of Gene and Grayson Steinberg have written a marvelous, fast-paced story of interstellar warfare and star-crossed love. The battle scenes are so descriptive, you can see the spaceships explode and be consumed by gigantic balls of flame. I enjoyed this story and the authors say there is more to come about the characters and the future world of the Rockoids. Fans of Star Wars and Star Trek will enjoy this story and look forward to many more adventures of Ray and Xanther. That's Attack, Attack of the Rockoids. Order your copy direct from Amazon Books or check out a sample chapter and get a special discount on your copy direct from www.rockoids.com. That's www.rockoids.com. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids in the grand and science fiction tradition. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bianchi. You never know what's going to happen next. 
You're in the PowerCast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're talking to researcher and filmmaker David Sonnenschein, and we're speaking about the incredible exploits of Ari Go. David Biedney. Uh, David, you said that you, um, in your research, you spoke with people who had been operated on by Ari Go. What kind of feedback did they give you? What did these people sense when he was operating on them? What What was going on? Well, they, they first of all, the the feeling of of knowing that this is the right thing to do, I think, is part of what is important in this kind of healing work. Mm-hmm. If you're scared of it, if you're doubting it, I think that it can impede uh, the process. I saw this, as I said, in my own research uh, with other healers doing similar kind of work, that if someone was really scared, they could actually start to feel pain. And what was told to them is, is to relax, surrender, and put your faith in God. So Argo, as well as many of these other healers, uh, use faith uh, and the power of the person's belief system that's already in place. And specifically, he would invoke the name of Jesus Christ. He would use a crucifix. And as I said, Brazilians are 99% of them Catholics, so they're already inside of that belief system. So this obviously created a, a whole polemic with him in the Catholic Church. But nonetheless, the people that would come would be within a unified belief system. So this is part of what helps. Now, that doesn't mean you have to have that. For example, one of the American doctors who was there was operated on his arm for um, uh, like a kind of a cyst that was in a place that would have not been easy to operate on by conventional surgery. It could have damaged nerves. And Argo operated on in a few seconds and just, boom, did it. And this this doctor who received the, the, the surgery said he didn't feel anything other than the pressure. There was no pain. And um, I have received my own uh, treatments from not Argo, but the, the current healers. And the sensation that I have is there's no pain. It feels like there's pressure or I can sense there's something happening. And I had a sensation of when I was being worked on my lower back of a warm glow it felt like it was a, just very comforting and just uh, almost like a heating pad there that just kind of spread throughout that region and, and felt really good and, and my my pains of, of several weeks of pain disappeared almost instantaneously so I, I have had a personal experience with it and uh, after you watch several hundred or thousand people go by uh, and seeing all these possibilities of, of cures, you generally have a strong faith or belief that it's possible. It is possible. So that, now, that's it. David, when, when Ari Go was doing this for all of these years, I mean, he wasn't doing this unchallenged by the government. He got into quite a bit of trouble, didn't he? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit about what happened. Well... There were two strong forces that were really against him. Obviously, the Catholic Church, as we mentioned, because of the uh, spiritual and religious aspects of what he was doing, and literally pulling people away from going to the church services 
to to be there attending what he was doing, and uh, fewer and fewer people would would go, partly because the the priests were so antagonistic as well, telling people not to go, so they didn't want to hear that. So that that was a, a building force against him. The other was uh, the medical doctors in the region were losing their clientele and felt very threatened by that, especially because this guy's treating everybody for free, so they're losing their income. So those two forces band together and uh, went to the the legal system uh, and the, the judges and the, the police forces, and, and there were two major incidents, one uh, where Argo was arrested and brought to trial for witchcraft and practicing medicine illegally. Witchcraft is that you are uh, fooling people, uh, basically charlatanism, uh, that you're doing things and and uh, taking their money, which he wasn't, but uh, they had a case against him on all this. And certainly he didn't have a medical license, so that they definitely had a strong case mm-hmm. for. That first incident, though, he was pardoned by the Brazilian president at the time, Kubitschek, who had known Argo for several years because of his work in the political arena, supporting the the Workers' Party and and the senators. So they had become friends. And ultimately, uh, Argo actually did treat the daughter of this president for an ailment that she had later on. So they were very close. The second time this happened, though, there was a military coup in 64, and Kubitschek was exiled and was not then around to basically um, help support Argo, and he was then brought to trial and this time was put in jail and was in jail for close to a year. While that was going on, there were some interesting stories in the Fuller book about his, um, his jail time. And it seems like even in jail, he seemed to wield some strange power over the inmates and people. It wasn't just like he was another prisoner sitting in a cell. He was um, was quite revered in the prison. And what I think our, our listening audience doesn't necessarily appreciate was that as sort of unknown as Arigo is, no, is in the United States, for example. Uh, it was my experience living in Venezuela that Arigo was very well-known and really well-loved. It wasn't just that he was well-known and people thought, oh, this guy's a charlatan. It was almost like he was a... I mean, I, he'd probably hate to hear this, but it was almost like people thought he was a saint. Yeah, and certainly a martyr in this case. Um, yeah. You know, going to jail for what he believed in because he was asked to stop and he wouldn't and couldn't in a, in a right. level and the, you know the pressures were were enormous on all sides and and in fact in the, in the jail he he was he befriended the prisoners and the guards and there was you know outside the jail there were throngs of people protesting and uh, it, it was a, an enormous scene and and this certainly in in the story that I'm telling for the film that I'm producing on this. Uh, this is really one of the most dramatic points. What does a man do when he is taken away from his family, his wife and his children, put in jail uh, for his, his spiritual beliefs? And, for healing people. Yeah, for helping people. And, yeah. and it's, it's really uh, an amazing thing that in those two decades and millions of people, no one ever recorded any kind of of illness damage anything from his treatments ever 
which is impossible to imagine in some ways because you look at the hospitals nowadays, anybody goes in and they've got a percentage of a chance of contracting something there and or having them, you know, some operation not go right or whatever. He never had any of that in decades. <laughs> then he didn't need malpractice insurance. He certainly didn't, <laughs> uh, yeah, although he, he might have been able to get a better lawyer to keep him out of jail. But but it was it was really, really uh, an epic story, uh, and, and this is definitely the reasons why I've been working on this script and, and writing this story. And I guess one of the things that I wanted to say about it, too, I think that all of these are, what we're talking about is, is all public domain. Everybody can get this information from newspapers and from books and all that. What's really absolutely fascinating, which will come out in the film that I'm working on, is the relationship aspects of Arigo and Dr. Fritz and the family. And that's where the guts of the emotion is. I mean, it's one thing to see a miraculous cure, and, and it is extremely emotional if you're involved with, with it on a personal level. It's another to live with it for decades and grow and be challenged and, and have to make extraordinary life decisions around this uh, whole amazing gift and, um, and burden. Definitely sounds like a gift and a burden and something we have to explore in more detail. But right now we're going to break for the halfway period of this episode of the Paracast. So, David Sonnenschein, would you like to hang out for the second segment so we can get into more in-depth coverage of this? Because the story of Arigo has very rarely been discussed on American radio. I'll stay with you. Um, yeah. Welcome back to the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Vietti. We're back with part two of our discussion about the strange case of Arigo and some related stuff that we'll be getting into shortly. We're talking to researcher and filmmaker David Sonnenschein. David, I had a quick question here, and maybe it's something that you have a feeling for, and that is, other than the John Fuller book, very little attention has been paid to Arigo in the United States. I don't hear it discussed much on paranormal radio, even that radio show that's on seven days a week. So what do you think is the reason for this? Well, my sense is that um, Brazil is a very exotic, faraway place for most people. You know, we, we've heard of, you know, Carnival and, and Pele, the soccer player. And, and um, you know, we see pictures of, of the Sugarloaf. But um, it, it's like another world. Um, and... Having gone back and forth, I lived in Brazil for 15 years straight and go back and forth almost every year. It's just such a, a faraway place. Um, it's like talking about, you know, um, Indonesia or, or some, or Philippines or anything else that is just not on people's routes, you know? So it becomes a little bit of like, uh, I just think it's just a, a big gap for people to bring into their conscience that this is, this is real, you know, and it, and it's maybe it's one of the the challenges that I'm having as a filmmaker as well to say, hey, um, this is really about human potential. This is about all of us. It's not just about some exotic tribe in the Amazon jungle, you know, that that is you know localized there. But it is, um, I think, as I mentioned earlier, about. Brazil in a certain context, I asked Dr. Fritz, why did this happen? Why are you here? 
you know, why not United States? Why not Europe? And he said, well, I came to Brazil because the people here are, first of all, very poor. They don't all have access to health care. But more than that, they have extraordinary levels of faith. And that is where Dr. Fritz said that he can open up the potential of what he has or had to offer to the world because the Brazilian people are much more open and receiving uh, their receptacles for this, which maybe answers a little bit of your question that uh, more Western, uh, uh, you know, American Europeans are maybe not as open to this as, as Brazilians. I think it's also for some reason that things that happen in South America, I guess because of the festivals and, and maybe a little bit of prejudice too, we tend not to take them quite as seriously here. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, the environment there for this to happen is based on the indigenous people still having a strong presence as we do not have much American Indian presence in our current culture at all. In Brazil, it's much more present. Uh, the African, even more so, they have maintained their cultural roots, their spiritual roots, especially in Bahia and that area, such that they're doing their original ceremonies and rituals much truer to their, their um, origin than they do in Africa now. So if people want to really get back to the core, they go to Brazil. And then again, the Catholic Church has not just a physical presence like it does around the world, but really an active daily presence in people's lives. So, again, spiritism also found its way to Brazil. All of these things together have created a very fertile ground for this kind of phenomenon, much more so than the United States. So it is a little bit hard to translate that whole environmental milieu to, to the West. That's what I think. It's almost as if in the United States there's more attention paid to the sensationalistic aspects of it, of any sort of paranormal stuff versus any more meaningful core meaning that it may present to us. And uh, I, this is something that growing up in Venezuela, David and Gene, I know that I experienced this, the way that the population relates to religion and the role that religion has in their lives in many ways, uh, I find it to be more palatable than what goes on with the extreme expressions in the United States. It's almost as if people are looking for more of the core issues, more of the, the spiritual aspect of religion versus maybe the outward manifestation of it. Or, you know, you look at what's going on in the Midwest with the construction of these mega churches and religious fundamentalism as a way to control society. Down there, I. I think it's a little different. People turn to religion because perhaps their governments are not as reliable. That all of a sudden I just realized, wait a minute, we live in a country where the government's completely messed up. So that's part of well, part of our well, schizophrenia. Well, then I guess we should have this in this country too. I mean, after all. Yeah, there are certain points you made that are really valid. They also have religions there that are these mega churches types, and they are actually the ones that are most against the spiritists. Mm -hmm. You know, so that they have this antagonism today now much more than the Catholic Church does because they can't control the people. Uh, they, they're into control, and the evangelical, they call it evangelical churches down there. Right. Um, but it, it's, it's really 
a question of uh, also the the need that the people had on on the um, the health level. They're not just religious. They actually flocked to this because they, uh, with their medical health needs, they would take advantage, let's say, of their faith and say faith can heal everything. Whereas here, we have as many health needs, if not more, with all the stress that we've got, too, and it's turned into commerce. You know, it's it's the, the medical profession, the pharmaceuticals and all that. Yeah. That's really it. And we do have even now, quote, the natural cures. So you go to the, to the natural food stores and then you got vitamins galore. So it's still commerce, which is, you know, at least it says it's not going to hurt you as much as the knife or the drugs. Well, of course, it also looks like a situation involving vested interests, in this country, which could be a lot, a very major issue, especially the drug industry, which is making incredible amounts of money on right. new medications. I think most of you know that I love radio, and so I decide to look for the ultimate receiver for AM reception because I want outstanding AM reception, day and night, especially night when it gets difficult. So I've discovered that C-Crane CC Radio Plus has earned the reputation of having the best AM reception, which is exactly what C-Crane intended when they designed this gem of a radio. Along with its legendary AM reception, it also has excellent FM reception, a weather band, TV audio, and the ability to run on batteries for, and listen to this, 250 hours. So whether you use it as your bedside radio in your kitchen or at work, the CC Radio Plus will give you the pleasure of clear AM reception. The radio is designed for the clarity of the human voice and the benefits of useful features like five memory buttons per band. They work just like memory buttons in your car. A sleep timer. An alarm clock so you can get up at the right time, and a weather alert that now works as an all-hazards alarm. You know what I want you to do? I want you to buy that radio, but also support this show by visiting our site, theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com right now. Click on the C-Crane Sponsor button to order the CC Radio Plus for $164.95, and that includes free ground shipping and a free C-Crane catalog. Place your order today. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. You never know what's going to happen. This is the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Bietney. We have part two of our discussion with David Sonnenschein. He's a researcher, a filmmaker, and we'll be asking more about the film he's making in a moment. And we're talking about the strange case of Ari Go, something I would call, I guess, psychic healing. But again, the vested interest in this country where the drug companies yield such power, doesn't that make alternative methods of medical care more? 
more difficult to gain traction or become serious? Well, what's going on nowadays here is that everything's trying to be regulated because of the multinationals and all that. They they want to regulate the vitamins and, and all this kind of stuff and make sure that even psychotherapy is is like, you know, under under the thumb. I mean, there's a lot of what's happening in Brazil, too. Argo defied all of that. And as a matter of fact, he was approached by the pharmaceutical companies to be basically, mm. you know... Um, endorsing their products and this was something that he was totally against and it created a lot of antagonism you know just because he, he couldn't do that kind of stuff but that's that's what they wanted okay so it is part of that so then if he appeared in commercials and endorsed the product on television wow. or in radio commercials wow they would jumping into his bandwagon real quickly yeah but he would have probably lost his powers at the same time yeah it, it would have been compromising and so no i understand so. that it's just looking at their interest in it he being in their minds just a way to sell product a commercial yeah. resource to exploit mm-hmm. yeah so he he dealt with that and that's definitely part of the story that i'm i'm telling in my in my film it's it's not a major part but it is it's one of the chapters what happened to arigo david where did this all go he he got out of prison after the year and then what well it was like he, there was a golden age of his healing and when he got out of prison he went back to it but it wasn't really as he wasn't as active and and the, the healings weren't as profound and he just he starts just slowing down his health started declining and, and ultimately he was told that he was going to die by Dr. Fritz which is a very harrowing piece of information to receive uh, and that Dr. Fritz you know said it's it's your time and we, we completed our mission you know he had exhibited much of his life a heart murmur this was actually tested by the medical doctors the American doctors who went down there and it showed that when he was in trance, it no longer exhibited this heart defect. And when he was normal, it was there. And this had been there for a long time. Mm. And so at a certain point, he was told even the, the day that, that he was going to go, and he was driving a car and apparently had a heart attack, and, and he died in a car crash. And that was the end of his earthly story, and it continues now in our, in our stories. And I guess this would lead also into really what what's uh, what's happened to Dr. Fritz. Yeah. In okay. Fact, so you're raising the issue here that Dr. Fritz then has reappeared after the death of Arigo. This is a strong possibility, and meaning that several healers since Arigo passed in '71 have claimed to be channeling Dr. Fritz, and not only claim to be channeling Dr. Fritz, but are continued to perform. It's very similar, extraordinary healings and, and surgeries. Uh, all the way through till today, there's been a whole series of these mediums. And interestingly, the first set of them, the first three that I have known about, all were informed that they were going to die and died tragic, violent deaths as well. So I made four in a row like that. More recently, uh, I was studying one of the healers uh, who had been informed that he would also pass in uh, the year 2000, but um, apparently didn't. So uh, he's still alive. Was this the one that you had personal interactions with? Was this the one that worked on you, David? Yes, his name's Ruben Faria, and I worked with him for several years and uh, documented quite a bit of, of his healing work. 
and uh, was present for just months and months on end watching what he was doing, interviewing patients and doctors and spiritists, all kinds of people. Uh, and this was research for the feature that I'm developing about Arago because I could actually see it and be with it today. And I learned a lot. And it's not identical to Arago and can't say if it's a exactly the same entity dr fritz as he had who knows there's certain differences different procedures that they would uh, do rubens would work a lot with hypodermic needles injecting very bizarre solutions of um, iodine alcohol and turpentine into people's turpentine uh-huh including my own body, so I can say that I've experienced this. Um, it, it's normally something that would destroy tissues, but um, it didn't, and in fact healed. So there's all these kinds of theories behind that, including Dr. Fritz in through Rubens. I kind of we, we call him Rubens Fritz or Argo Fritz because who knows, you know, we, we just kind of identify them the best we can. But uh, Rubens Fritz would describe to me in very interesting neurobiological and quantum physics terms what was happening on an atomic and molecular level with electromagnetism, and it was quite fascinating stuff, which was very, very different than Arago, who didn't speak in these scientific terms. He might talk in medical terms of what's, what the case is, but he wouldn't go into those details. So what this brought up was that this entity, Dr. Fritz, continues through different channels, choosing the different channels or mediums according to what is the purpose of that mission of them being together. So with Argo, the mission was to open the world's eyes to the miracles through the faith and through the healings. There was a second man named Edson Keroys who practiced in the late 70s through the early 90s. And he was a medical doctor, licensed medical doctor. And so his mission was to receive Dr. Fritz, go into trance, and then do all the healings with a medical license, but doing it on a very different energy plane. He got in trouble, actually, because he didn't charge money. And so the medical profession... (laughs) took away his license because he was breaking uh, the union rules. Can you believe it? Jeez. Amazing. So Ironic. The point, the point of, of choosing Edson, though, was to bring this spiritual healing work into the medical realm, and which he did, and did to a certain degree of bringing medical doctors, but there was a lot of controversy there. With Rubens, he chose a man who has a degree in engineering and very intellectual and very well read and by channeling through Rubens combining their frequencies or their energies or their consciousness however you might want to call it he was able to use Rubens to explain scientifically the healing technology talking about the different brain patterns the different glands, the different um, DNA structures, the use of electromagnetism to change molecular structures, very, very advanced stuff that he could speak with physicists and medical doctors and 
uh, electronic engineers on a very, very high level and, and lecture with them and take questions, which is not what either Edson or Arico did. So it's been an interesting process for me to watch the whole series of Dr. Fritz mediums over the last half century. So it truly is a collaboration then, theoretically, between Fritz and the vessel, and then the person who is essentially channeling him brings their background to it. This seems to influence how Fritz manifests his abilities. I'm wondering, David, in the case of the medical doctor, did this doctor engage in things that were more related to deeper types of surgery because of his medical abilities? Not that I know of, no deeper than, than Arago's, mm -hmm. uh, because Arago was pretty deep. I mean, he, he, he did things that, that just went uh, right inside the body. But I think what you're indicating is maybe w was there any more sophistication in the actual treatments or surgeries? And yeah. I don't believe so. I am not an expert in Edson because I, I didn't uh, research him that much. But um, my sense is that they were all using technology that is not on the physical plane. Although some of the explanation of, of what was being done uh, with quantum physics takes it bridges then, our material physical world with the spiritual world in a rational way. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the podcast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and gene and data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Miedney. We're in the second hour of our discussion with David Sonnenschein. And he's a researcher and a filmmaker. And we're talking now about this mysterious Dr. Fritz, who turns up apparently in other bodies. Now, could it be here that to some degree maybe he's just a metaphor for these advanced powers rather than anything else, some kind of spirit who is in this other universe? Well, that's what I was referring to when I said that, you know, spiritism is one way that you can look at all of this, and certainly Brazil is culturally open to that. Right. Uh, whereas when we're looking at all these paranormal phenomena around the world and, and using technology to measure this or that and, and observe this or that, uh, we can look at all sorts of paradigms. And I think that's maybe what you're referring to. Would you like to say a little bit more about what you're thinking? Well, only that, of course, on the Paracast, we talk about other realities, and it could be a spiritual reality, it could be another dimension, whatever. We talk about other realities that somehow we interact with from time to time. And the big question being, are all these realities the same thing that we're perceiving in different ways? So you might refer to it as a spiritual realm. Other people might say, no, it's the 19th dimension or whatever. Mm -hmm. Whatever it is, it's the question of this this interaction that always intrigues me. And maybe we are all talking about the same thing, and it's manifested in different ways. It could be a healer that's in touch with us, 
Maybe this Dr. Fritz is really someone from the future who's interacting with us in the past. This is just kind of yeah. an offhand theory. Someone from the future, someone from the 29th century. You know, if you look at maybe the Star Trek movies where Dr. McCoy is always, when they go back in time, which they do every few years. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, of course. I, I will say that. Um, <laughs> David gets beside will. himself, unfortunately. We have I to forgive him. It. Oh, back into the 1960s. Let's go back there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, a couple things to say about all this. Uh, you, you know, Barbara Brennan is a healer who made a school uh, called Barbara Brennan School healing hands of light is the book that she wrote initially about this and uh, she has a background as, as a nasa scientist and discovered along the way her abilities to heal and to communicate how she heals uh with these let's say alternate realities meaning uh, different energy bodies and in her book she has wonderful illustrations of several layers of the of the bodies outside of the physical body, the astral body, emotional body, mental bodies, and also with the chakras and all of that that we, some of us can perceive, some of us look at books and, and see. Well, I showed this to Ruben Spritz, and he said, yeah, it looks just like that. That's how I see things. So I had a relationship, at least, with, with him uh, and this book, saying that this didn't require the story of spiritism to understand that when he's looking and he's treating somebody's body he's seeing clouds of light you know or gray matter or whatever it is and and i said well what do you do with that he says well what he does is he he folds time and by folding time we're talking about quantum physics here he's able to manipulate with electromagnetic energy the physical body so that he can put it back into the healthy state that it was in before it got sick. You're talking about a carnal undo. I have been praying for that for years. It's undo amazing. of the body. Uh, that's 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 wild. Yeah, and I think that he was Rubens was chosen so that he could help Doctor Fritz say these things and then do them. Hmm. Uh, which is pretty amazing. So I think Arigo was probably doing them, but use, just using the language more of the spiritists, right. which worked for the Brazilian population. David, so, let's go back. Let's go back to Arigo for one second. I, I want to do a reality check here. Yeah. In in your research, did you find any substantial number of cases or people who? testified to the idea that they weren't cured by Arigo. So we know that he worked on a lot of people. What percentage of those people claimed that they were not cured by him? Or, I mean, in the case of, you know, he was known as the surgeon of the rusty knife. He would pick up any blade and just start cutting into people. Were there any reports of people getting infections from his treatment? There were no reports of infections or, or uh, complications. To answer the question, how many didn't get healed, I don't know the answer to that, honestly. Okay. Um, I'm sure there was a portion of people that didn't get better. And and when that happened, often he would say, uh, he would sometimes tell them, I can't help you. Occasionally it was something like, it's karmic. Can't help you. It's karmic. you you got to suffer. This is, this is not my duty or, or um, uh, availability to to go against your karma. You've got this 
problem, and you got to deal with it. So occasionally he would just say outright, I'm not, I can't help you. Let me ask you a question here, which you raise here. Has there been any kind of survey or investigation to see what percentage of people who go to these healers for treatment actually get the treatment they seek and what percentage don't? You mean get the results they seek? Exactly. Get the treatment, but not the Yeah. I don't know of any scientific like data survey. I can say that when I was there, you know, I interviewed lots and lots and lots of people, and I was told that he was giving benefit to about 70%. That's not a you know, statistical analysis. That was just that somebody estimated that about 70%, which is a very, very high success rate, uh, were, were received benefits. Well, that's probably true for any physician. I think any, if a doctor any, had to report very. their success rate at different types of treatment, I yeah. think we'd all be very, very frightened indeed. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730. Or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730 or www.fatemag.com. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. You never know what's going to happen next. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney, and we're speaking in our second hour with David Sonnenschein, and he's a filmmaker and investigator, and we're talking about psychic healing. David Biedney, you had a question. In what you observe with uh, Rubens Faria, David, this is, I don't, well, I'll just come out and ask it. Was he continuing the tradition of not taking payment that Ari Go was? For a while. Um, and the, the, there was, you know, an openness to it. And during the period that I observed over a few years, it became more oriented towards money. And really? certainly, uh, that, that I, in my opinion, shifted a lot of, of the, uh, not just the effectiveness of the cures, but, but the whole energy around it. And it, it, it created a lot, a lot of problems for him as an individual and um it, this was you know in the newspapers it wasn't something that i, I was you know just privy to it, it, right. he, he had a lot of problems so it, it would appear in some ways that if nothing else the power that he had to heal was was affected by this i would say so um yeah. because it, it it not only affected his power to heal but it affected his personal relationships around him the people that were supporting him and family and all this stuff all of that 
was influenced as well, and mm-hmm. he also had a health problem. Uh, you know that may I can't say for sure, but may or may not have have um, have been affected by this area or not. I don't mm-hmm. know. Uh, and he did have other means of of earning money. It wasn't like the only way because he was a computer engineer and and all that. So uh, it just when you have a thousand, literally a thousand people a day coming to see you, it can get to your head, Ooh. you know, and your pocketbook can feel like it. It's, you know, it wasn't just him, actually. It was just the, the people around him that were taking care of all those thousands of people. They didn't want to just sit there and do it all for free either. So that was that was part of what the story that unfolded. At that point, just dealing with um, the logistics of a thousand people, you would think that there was a staff. And, and I'm wondering about what had happened with Ari Go. I know that there was one person that came seeking seeking treatment from Ari Go, Altamiro, who ended up uh, basically becoming his right hand guy. He was so impressed by what he saw that he stayed, and he was the one that uh, essentially was sort of like the nurse, so to speak. Of course, he wasn't trained in any of this, but did you, by any chance, and, and I'm just curious, when you were down there and you were speaking to Arigo's family, did, did you find out about what happened to Altamiro or, or I his I knew family? him personally, yes. I met him and knew him personally, and, and, and also uh, have the rights to his story as well as, as the family story. Really? He's since passed away um, a few years ago. But I got a lot of information from him about his story and, and Arago's story and really what happened. Uh, and and it, just to recount it very quickly, it's, it's a fascinating Please. story. He, he was a young man, late teens, and was working for the church uh, in their printing press. Hmm. And he was having problems with his eyesight. And that's certainly a job where you need to see well. You know? Yeah. And... He ultimately uh, went to, to get a, a healing from Arago because his, his parents thought, thought that would be the way, way to do it because he wasn't getting any better. And he did. He did get a healing. And the church was furious. <laughs> and so he left the church and began working with Arago. Uh, and he uh, became his uh, transcriber because Arago would write prescriptions scribbling like most Arago Fritz, that is, scribbling like many doctors do, almost illegible scrawls about what kind of medications they should be taking. And somehow, Altamiro, his nickname is Preto, Preto would be able to read these and type them up for everybody. So he became very instrumental in hmm. helping, helping all the people that came through there, and he'd be typing all day for hundreds and thousands of people. Jeez. So you had a chance to meet him and speak with him. What was his feelings of, after Arigo died? How did he feel about the notion of Fritz passing to other people? Did he feel that this was something that was feasible or realistic? Well, both he and and the family have been uh, observing this over the decades. Mm-hmm. And they all agree that, that it is a, a valid phenomenon that these healers are very effective and really helping people and really doing something outside of the ordinary, you know. But they all have their doubts about it being the same entity, Dr. Fritz. And my point of view of that is that they're very much in the spiritist tradition where they're attempting to identify a spirit as being like with an ID card or fingerprints or proof of it's this spirit or that spirit. And for me, that's I've gone 
to another realm with that. I, I just don't have that issue because it, it's, it's so unusual, first of all. Let's just take it for what it is and not, not try to make it right or wrong or yes or no. Let's just be with it what it is and, and, and learn what we can rather than trying to prove something or other is, is right or not. So I think I've answered your question from their perspective, yeah. and maybe giving you my perspective is not the same. Has um, modern science tried to look into understanding this in any way that you know of, David? I mean, it it seems like certainly in the case of Arigo, there there really is a good amount of hard evidence that this was genuinely something unexplained. Do you know of any real research that's been done then or after the fact to try to understand this? In the scientific realm at all? Well, the research done with Rubens that I was present to uh, related mostly to brainwave research, uh, which maybe doesn't get to the core of it, or maybe does, but it, it's, it's a peripheral phenomenon uh, that shows very unusual brain activity. You mean on his awesome. part? You mean on, on the channel's part. part. Right, right. Yeah. Now, the next stage of that, which... I believe, uh, I have a degree in neurobiology, I worked in a sleep laboratory and brainwaves for many years, so I'm very familiar with this area. And what I, I believe is, would be the next step, and I haven't seen any research done on this, is to test the hypothesis or, or the claim that Ruben Fritz says, which is that his brainwaves create an electromagnetic field that creates an entrainment of the patient's brainwaves. To synchronize with his brainwaves hmm. and it would be something not so difficult to test that out right right so that would be the next stage and then if that is the case if he's actually in training it's like it's like a wireless internet in a connection then you know to say that okay uh, you know how how you can work at a distance on somebody's computer right and, and then you can control their computer mm-hmm. uh, from your station that's kind of what he's doing with his brain waves and electromagnetic radiation over distance. He's using some instruments as well, the knives and, and needles, and he describes how the metal itself is a conductor. That could be tested. And then we could see really, you know, if it's really on that basis that it's really happening or if that's just a, a hypothesis that is not valid. So that's really where it was at. Um, during the time that I was with Rubens, we had international scientists interested in pursuing this. It didn't happen while I was working with him for various reasons, and I think that it was um, had to do with personalities. They're, they're just very hard to pin down, these kind of people. Um, in terms of Arago, he was invited to come up to the United States to, to do further studies, and he declined. He didn't want to go in an airplane. He didn't want to be away from his family, and so they weren't able to pursue it that, because of that. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our forums where you can talk to fellow listeners and Gene and Data. Just go to theparacast.com and click on the forum links. That's the forum links at theparacast.com. 
You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. We're on our second hour with David Sonnenschein. He's an investigator and filmmaker, and we're talking about psychic healing, interdimensional healing, whatever kind of mysterious healing that we can talk about. I know that David and I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about this film you're working on. Now, this is not something that you intend for public distribution at this point, right? Yeah, the, the film that I'm working on now, is, it's a fictional film based on the true story of Argo and uh, using the information in public domain as well as the the individual stories of the, the people who I've, I have the options on their stories and the family and, and people like Preto, his assistant and such. And uh, it is really to tell the story of a human being who's gone through this extraordinary transformational life and how he's affected the people around him in such a vast way that we're still talking about him 40 some odd years later. And so uh, it's it's an epic story. It's the it's a kind of a Gandhi-like story, and yet it's also intimate, like the Green Mile. If you've seen the Green Mile, you know it's oh yeah, it's a small, intimate story of of individuals who are extraordinary. And so it, it's it's kind of that combination of the of the intimate and the epic, and and uh, bringing to the United States a story that is from another culture. So that's the other aspect that it is something that is universal and that universality is what i want to pull out in the story so perhaps david in this story you explore the idea that i know that i said before that arigo was seen as something of a saint but in reality he really was a human being right i mean he oh, had yeah. human weaknesses and he wasn't perfect oh, yeah. absolutely and you know the, the aspect of him being a saint will be treated, but it'll be treated as like that's how some people see him. But he doesn't see himself like that, nor does his right. family members, nor does Doctor Fritz. And he's very human. And the delicate part for me is that I know so much about what makes him human and his weaknesses that I have a lot of living family members around, so I can't really go as far as I might go to show all aspects of, of his personality that might perhaps offend some of the family because right. he's very real. And so it's a, it's dosing it so that it doesn't look like he's a, you know, a saint in a goody two-shoes, not by any means. He, he was uh, somewhat of a, a womanizer that, that shows in, even in the story that I'm, I'm presenting. And, you know, his level of responsibility to the family and being able to to hold on to like what he's his commitments to to different individuals and all of that is going to be tested and uh, that's really I think what makes it partly the universal aspect is that we all have those conflicts between personal and professional lives for example you know relationships between you know your boss says one thing and your wife says something else what are you going to do you know yeah of course you do what your wife says yeah, of course <laughs> and then you, and then you get slammed up from the other side so you know you get slammed from all sides so that's what makes us all humans we've got to deal with being slammed and and you know then, then we get the benefits we get the raises or we get the kisses you know <laughs> well then of course these psychic healers are not supermen or super women and by the way that's another point i wanted to ask you so far it's always men is it ever involving women as psychic healers that's an interesting point. I personally had experience with women psychic healers. They're not as well known, and I think it may have to do with 
the ego, the male ego, seems to get out there more than female egos. It, it may have a little bit to do with that because in, in Brazilian uh, culture, there are so many women healers, but they're they're not out there like trying to make a name for themselves so much as the men seem to. So I think that that's part of what what happens. I did hear of one woman channeling Dr. Fritz out of the dozens that I've heard. You know, I can't say that any I didn't see her, but I, I read about her. But most of them were men. I've witnessed maybe half a dozen healers who say they're channeling Dr. Fritz. How many did you think were legit? You say you saw half a dozen that were claiming they were channeling Dr. Fritz. Do you think that any of them were? Well, it goes back to that question that we talked about previously. Uh, is it? How can you prove it? How can right. there's no fingerprints and or, or driver's license? You know. So I just look at it like as uh, spiritual marketing. A lot of the times, <laughs> use that name, and everybody gets. Oh, that's Dr. Fritz. I understand. You know, right. the culture of Brazil, everybody knows what Dr. Fritz is and what he does. And so it's an easy name. It's a tag. How to prove that it is or isn't, that's another story. And it doesn't really matter if they're healing people. They all have their own individual personalities and techniques. Some of them don't do surgery at all. So what makes this anything like Dr. Fritz that came from Arago? Well, it's because he's the answer would be, uh, he's evolved now. He doesn't have to use tools and knives anymore. He can do it without those. Okay, great. <laughs> uh, that, that's fine by me. <laughs> well, if it's as effective and as, uh, that's as successful, right, sure. Right. Are there any cases, to your knowledge, David, of anybody, for example, in North America who has manifested these types of abilities? Uh, Brazilians who've come up here that I've heard about, they don't. There's one that, that I heard about calling themselves Dr. Fritz. You, you know, I've I've been around some of the Filipino healers. Again, they're not local. They're they're from the Philippines and they come mm -hmm. to visit and right. they do something that is, oh, you know, maybe similar, uh, but uh, off uh, off to another realm as well. Because a lot of what they do, and admittedly, what they do is sleight of hand because they say, well, we don't have to really always do surgery. Just, just having the person with faith is enough since we don't have to do it. So they don't really distinguish in their own work between real psychic surgery and fake psychic surgery because they say, hey, you know, it all works. We just do what the patient needs at that time. So for our Western minds, again, that, that just befuddles us, you know. Sure. We can't, we can't fit it into a box, you know. Well, if it's fake, then it must all be fake, you know. It's, it doesn't doesn't work for us the way. Regarding other people's work that I've heard of, I have heard of some healers who are doing things uh, with DNA. I can't say that it's really happening or not mm, in terms right. of DNA, but I've, I've read and heard about people reprogramming DNA, you know, and healing people with this. That's similar to what Ruben Fritz was talking about, so it might be, it might be similar. But I don't have enough first-hand knowledge to say yes. It uh, doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't have the kind of impact of seeing the footage of Arigo taking what looks like an exacto knife and jamming it into someone's eye while that person stands there looking completely calm. And this is um, amazing stuff to see. Unfortunately, guys, there were some video clips that were up on YouTube and Google Video of this, and they've vanished. Oh. The, yeah, yeah. Some of these clips were floating around and. Uh, and uh, I don't think they're up anymore, as uh, as of the last time I checked. But 
to see this footage is really just absolutely astounding. And you realize, and and again, you're right, David, in the Western world, physical evidence is really what compels people. And to see this stuff, well, it was clear that this stuff wasn't faked. It wasn't trick footage. Mm-hmm. You know, you see the blade go up into someone's eye. It, there's, no, right. there's no digital effects there, and this person isn't flinching at all. And just the idea, I mean, just just describing it, I'm, my eyes are like, are twitching. It, it's, I know, I know. Okay. You are about to enter another dimension. A dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Gene and I love to hear from our listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts with us, send your messages to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to check out our website at theparacast.com, where you can download past episodes of the show for free and visit our dynamic discussion forums. Also, please patronize our sponsors. Tell them that you heard their ads on the Paracast. They'll appreciate it, and we will too. You are the Paracast with James Steinberg and David Bianni. You never know what's going to happen next. Let's twitch this. You're in the Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney. And we're talking in this final segment with David Sonnenschein, a filmmaker and an investigator, and he's investigating for many years, psychic healings. David, twitching eyes now. I need to talk to you about that. Do you need a special psychic eye drops? No, you know, it's uh, it's really uh, startling because I've, I've been right in front of this, like, you know, 12 inches away watching this. The the people who I've not had my eyes operated on, but the people who, who have done it, they they just they're calm. They don't twitch. They just sit there and um, and it's the knife goes in between the eyeball and the eye socket and goes in several inches and you can see the point of it often uh, bulging up above the yeah. eyebrow. This is a CSI moment, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> it, it's it's stuff that I've documented many times in uh, you know in my own videos, but I you know we're talking about like well is it fake or is it not fake? I don't have to question it because I've been there. <laughs> you were there, right? I mean that's Yeah, it. the listeners can say well maybe David was being hypnotized or you know it, it wasn't real and he you know they no. think it somehow 
I've seen the footage, and Gene, it's not a CSI moment because unlike CSI, this is real. CSI is television. This is real stuff, and absolutely, David, this is not stuff that's faked. I've seen the footage. You know, I have some understanding of how to fake these things visually. This is stuff that is absolutely genuine. Well, I was thinking in terms of the graphic content, not so much in terms of the reality. Well, I think there are people who think that CSI is a documentary. That's a TV show. I hope not. Well, you know. Well, you know, the, the documentaries that I have seen and uh, of Argo are, uh, you know, I've seen them being projected off of an 8-millimeter, you know, projector or 16-millimeter projector. I mean, it's, it's, it wasn't something digital, first of all. So, right. And secondly, I've seen it myself with other healers and recorded it. And I know that the audiences will have extreme reactions more so to the eye operations than almost anything else oh yeah um, because you can cut open somebody's chest or head or whatever and you can kind of imagine we're watching a surgery but to just look at somebody sitting there and looking at you and then all of a sudden the knife comes into the frame and we're in close-up and the knife goes into their eyes and, oh. and their eye bulges out of their socket and it's like it's pretty disturbing for most people to see that but then oh, yeah. you, you know you see the before and the after one one of the operations shows is this kind of like a cyst that was growing on the eyeball itself extreme close-up and you see them operating on it then you show extreme close-up at the end and it's gone and they're out of there you know and people who have described being essentially blind and having their eyesight come back or less dramatically uh, a, a person that I know went down just recently to to another healer in Brazil and she had a condition where she would blink every few seconds for the last 40 years oh, and geez. and this guy operated on her and she went normal boom like that afterwards and you saw this you problem. were there you saw this I didn't see that one but I saw okay. her I, I talked to her personally about okay. it. I, I wasn't there during that, but, I, you know, but she's somebody I know and I can call her up and, you know, I've done interviews with her. You know, she's an American. I wasn't down okay. at the time when she saw, when she had uh, that operation, but I can uh, imagine it, you know, it's, it's like all the other ones. So it's not only the Brazilians who, who are able to receive the healings, you know? Absolutely. And, and David, I just want to mention on, on the show that some of the documentary work you've done is not available, and so people can't go get it any, anywhere, unfortunately. Yeah, it's kind of in-house stuff for the, the research for the right. feature film that we're working on right now. Right. But you've been very kind in sharing some of this material with me, and I've watched it. And uh, first of all, you do a pretty good job documenting it, so I'm going to commend you on that. Thank you. Um, you know, visually. And uh, some of the m- material that, that you've shot is extremely compelling. It's pretty unbelievable. And, you know, and I know that you were there. You were there with the camera shooting this stuff. I was a, a one-man crew. It was uh, <laughs> me, the microphone, and the camera. <laughs> well, I think you did pretty good. I've I've done that gig in, uh, in documenting stuff, and it's hard to do that. And I can only imagine how hard it is to do that while you're standing there watching Rubens Faria operate on people. And, you know, you're, you're, uh, I'm guessing your hands start to shake a little bit, going, what the heck am I seeing here? Because it really is over that cliff. And, and it's important to, to mention this, because something that I, we've talked about on the show is when you're witnessing something that's truly paranormal, you know, there's a reaction, there's an adrenaline reaction in your body that's really unlike anything else. And it's hard to, you know, keep 
if you're standing to st- remain standing your legs get a little weird it's hard to you're holding oh, yeah. a camera and you're seeing stuff that's your brain probably tells you oh there's no way this can be and yet your eyes are seeing it right there and yeah. you're holding a camera i'm amazed that you're able to keep the camera as still as you did as as, as smooth as and stable as you did because i know i'd be going oh man and my hand would start probably start to you know just like freak out so there, i want to commend you one. and i've seen this footage so it's amazing there stuff. was one shot maybe you um you can look back again in the first 10 minutes or so. I'm holding the camera, and uh, Ruben Spritz has got this, you know, maybe 10-inch inch long forceps. Mm-hmm. And he's getting ready to put it into this woman's nose. Oh, yeah. And he grabs my left hand, and I'm holding the camera and shooting with my right hand. <laughs> and you see my left hand come into screen. Yep. And he puts my hand on this forceps as he's jammed up about maybe five or six inches up this woman's nose. So it probably be crunched into her brain by there. And he's asking me to, to turn it and twist it around like he does his <sighs> thing, you know. That one made me really squeamish. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll let you do this one. I'll, I'll try it another time. But it was for him to give me the experience that the American scientists had the same experience with, with Arago, where they were asked to touch the knife, to be with his hand on the knife when he was operating. And the experience is extraordinary because it doesn't feel like you're hitting hard tissue. It's kind of like almost like there's a electromagnetic lubricant in there, and so it doesn't really damage tissues. Very strange. That's the theory behind it, at least. But the sensation is very strange. Hey, we're almost out of time here, and I know you have a website where we could learn more about the kind of work you do. Well, yeah, I'm professional sound designer as well as filmmaker, and I've written a book on sound design for film, and I include a lot of the interesting areas of, of sound healing in it, as well as the psychoacoustics and storytelling aspects of it. And you can visit this on my website, which is sonicstrategies.com, and the book is sound design and you can find that on amazon.com and learn a lot more about sound and filmmaking and storytelling which i'd love to talk about in another interview <laughs> maybe for our tech show yeah we have a tech show called the tech night out live and there we do talk about the technology of filmmaking and of course about audio and stuff like that we talk more of a consumer level here so things go at more of a consumer level but of course with david's experience we can see where that goes yeah Well, on last week's show, I will tell you what I did. We had the sound of another shoe dropping where we were disputing Uh something one of our guests said. And what I did is I used a real shoe. (laughs) It was a big shoe. Yeah. But it was a shoe. Hey, yeah. we want to thank well, David Sunshine. Yeah, I wanted for, to say what, just one last thing to, to please. keep an eye out for uh, the film that I'm directing as well, which is called Choices, and that will be coming up in a few months. Uh, and it's all about how we make choices from a metaphysics and a quantum physics level of consciousness. Ooh, ooh. That sounds good. Thank, thank you so much, yeah. David Sunshine, for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thanks, David. Thank you. The Paracast with Gene Steinberg and David Biedney is a production of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Join us next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.